scripture reading this morning is going to be Acts 10, 38. Acts 10, verse 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how Jesus went around doing good and healing those who were oppressed by the devil, because God was with him. There's some verses in the Bible that just, well, they should just cause you to pause and stand still for a minute and consider. Try on Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, for example. The Lord God took dust of the ground and formed man and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. Just stand for a moment and stand in awe of that verse, which tells us that God just took a a clump of dirt, which he made... And he formed it into a man, and he breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. And then appreciate that God takes that man after planting a garden, puts him in the garden, and he says, everything you need is in the garden. You tend and keep the garden, and in that garden you have water, and you have trees for food, and you have animals for companionship. You've got everything except, well, there wasn't a companion that was suitable. And so God one day put Adam to sleep and he took a rib from his side and from that rib he formed a woman and he brought her to the man and she lived in the garden with the man. And God said, there's one tree, just one tree in the midst of the garden that I don't want you to touch, I don't want you to eat from, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But that was the tree that old Satan tempted Eve with and later Adam with her. And they both ate from that tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This morning, I want you to think about what is good, and how do we know what is good? I appreciate Brothers Lynn and Terry for letting Julie and I and the boys be gone last week, and I love preaching in gospel meetings. Uh, We were back in Missouri, some of our old stomping grounds, and, and we got to see a lot of familiar faces, got to spend time with our parents and lay eyes on them, and kind of see how they're doing, and they all send their greetings back here. And it was just a wonderful week. We had a wonderful time and and got to see a lot of people. Gospel meetings are a fun thing, but there's one thing about it. Uh, Everybody wants to feed you, right? They want to feed you when you go for a gospel meeting. And uh, they want to give you their absolute best shot. And so Sunday through Thursday, this meeting went through Thursday night, So Sunday through Thursday, we find ourselves in people's homes, and they don't want to give you leftovers when you're in their home. They want to hit you with their best shot. So every meal that you have that week for supper is the very best meal that they're going to have through the whole week. And so you get that meal Sunday through Thursday. I ate very little breakfast, always skipped lunch, and just waited for the meal at supper time. And hoped that by the time it was ready, I was ready to preach that I could breathe. But we, we had a great time and we ate some wonderful food. The theme this week was pie. I don't know why. We had pie, I think, for every dessert this week. And for someone who loves pie like I do, oh man, it was delicious. And we had such a wonderful time. But every time when we got, to, I guess it's just habit, but every time we pulled up to someone's door, we would look in the back seat and we would say, boys... 
Be good. Be good. Be on your best behavior. As if they wouldn't. At this point in their lives, they're pretty good boys. They know how to behave themselves. And they, I didn't have any uh, reservations about them not being good, but it's still something you feel the need to say. Hey, boys, be good. And that's exactly how my parents were with me. They don't tell me that anymore, but I still think they think it. Yeah, hey, Adam, be good. <laughs> be good. Do what you should and, and be good. I just want you to consider with me that there is such a thing as good. And you and I as parents and you and I as young people and and those of us who have grown up and lived longer lives, we understand that there is such a thing as good and we know that there is such a thing as not good or evil, that which is not right. And so you have good and you have evil. But how do we know? How do we know what is good? How, How can I say to the boys, be good, and they know what that means? How when my parents would tell me to be good, how would I know what that meant? Well, it's because we have a God who is good. That's how we know what is good. I want to begin with this thought, and that is, you and I wouldn't have a clue what being good is if we didn't have a good God. The Bible tells us in places like 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5 that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. God is the very epitome, the picture of good. And when we think about being good, we are picturing ourselves more like God. He is good. There is not an ounce of evil in Him. And so when we think about good, we need to be thinking about God. You remember in Luke chapter 18, Jesus had a young man come up to Him who was rich and a ruler, the Bible says, and asked Him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And before Jesus got to answering the question, he first addressed that good, didn't he? Why do you call me good? No one is good except God. You see, God is good. And that's what Jesus is wanting him to to relate. He says, as you're talking to me and you call me a good teacher, I want you to understand that I am God. And if you understand that I am God, then you will have a more tendency to do what I tell you. Well, that young man, he... He never realized who he was really talking to, did he? Otherwise, he would have sold all of his possessions and he would have followed him. But he never came to that realization. But Jesus points out, God is good. And you and I need to come to that understanding as well. As Will read for us a moment ago from Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, the Bible says that everything Jesus did was good. This is Peter talking and what a, boy, what a context that we find there in Acts chapter 10. You remember that Peter's had this vision and a sheet comes down with clean and unclean animals. Would have been that way under Judaism, under the law of Moses. And God says, hey, Peter, rise, kill, and eat. Eat these unclean animals. And Peter's very much opposed. There's no way, God, I'll never eat that. He said, I told you to. He said, what once was unclean is now clean. And the message is bigger than animals, isn't it? It's people. What what used to be unclean, those Gentiles that once were outside of of a relationship with me, God says to Peter, now I'm bringing in the Gentiles. Now all men can be saved. So go with, with Cornelius. Go with these people that he has sent. Go back to his home. And so Peter picks up on the point. In Acts chapter 10... And you see, following in that context, he, lo- he walks in and he says to Cornelius, In truth, I perceive that with God there is no partiality. 
but in whatever nation, whoever fears God and works righteousness is accepted by Him. Peter got the point. Now all men can be saved because God, He's good. Jesus, you need Jesus. And Jesus went about doing good. All right, so be good. I understand that there's good because God is good. I understand that in Him is light and no darkness at all. I understand that He is the epitome of what is good. But how do I know what is good? Well, God's Word is good. God has given me His Word. I think it's coming. God's Word is good. Turn over to James chapter 1 and look at verse number 17. How do I know what is good? I'm making a point before we really get into a better context or bigger context this morning. But in James chapter 1 and verse 17, here's our word good. In verse number 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits among His creatures. God says, you are my best You are the first place in all of creation. And God says, I want you to know that I can show you what is good. The best gift that I can offer you is salvation through my Son. But how do I know about that Son? And how do I know about the salvation that He offers? It's right here in the Word of Truth, in verse number 18. How I want to love the Word of God more. How I want to appreciate what God has really given me. A good God has given me His good Word that I can know Him and what He provides to me. I want to love the Word of God. I want to know that the Word of God is good. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 through 12, again, this connection is made between the will of God and the Word of God. Between a good God who has delivered to us exactly what we need to know so that we can be saved and we can go to be with Him. All of that connection is made again in Ephesians 1 and verse 7. In Him, verse 7 says, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. My Bible tells me about Jesus. It tells me about the blood that He shed, the love that He has for me, the salvation that He provides. It tells me about a God who is good, who has a will that has now been revealed, and God's Word supplies this for me. If you look in Ephesians chapter 5, the Bible tells us over there in verse number 17, a very simple verse that gets right to the point. We've been looking together at the will of God. 23 times we find that expression in the New Testament, the will of God. And here it is in Ephesians 5 and verse 17, where Paul says to Christians, Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Understand what the will of the Lord is. There are a lot of people walking around in this world who are very, very smart, but extremely unwise. Very intelligent. They can do amazing things. They've got a mind that goes so much deeper than mine. A mind that seems to be expanded so much farther than mine is. They can do things that I can never even dream of doing. Their expertise just blows us away. They took a 90-year-old man a week or two ago into space. And he lived to tell about it. 
pretty amazing. Now, that had only been done on the TV set in the past, but this was real life. Somebody really has the brains to be able to do that. That's amazing to me. But the Bible says you want to be wise, understand what the will of the Lord is. I'm asking, how can I be wise? How can I know what the will of the Lord is? Well, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. Paul tells Timothy that it's the Holy Scriptures that are able to make you wise for salvation. A good God has given us His good word, and we should be thankful. A good God has told us everything that we need to know about His will, about His plan for saving us, about everything that He provides us in life. He he tells us where we came from. He tells us what we're doing here. He tells us where we're going. He answers all of these greatest questions that we have because He is a good God and He's given us His good word. This is important for us to know. But the context I want you to really think about with me today is over in the book of 1 Peter. Before we get to 1 Peter, though, I want you to think with me about 2 Peter. Again, we're talking about the Word of God and a good God who has given us His good word. He has told us exactly His will for our lives. He was good in that He told Adam and Eve, this is my will for you. This is exactly how you've come to be. You know my love for you that I provided for all of your needs. Don't eat from that tree. It was good for Him to tell tell them His command and wrong for them to disobey it. But think about these words in 2 Peter 1, verse 19. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you would do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, Peter says, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. That Bible that you hold in your lap or on your phone or whatever you're looking at this morning... That is not man's book. That is, those are not words that man dreamed up and wrote down. The Bible says clearly that this is God's book. Holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. A good God gave us His good word so that we might know Him and we might know His will for our lives. So that brings me to 1 Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 4, This is what the Bible says as we're making a comparison between the will of man versus the will of God. And the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 4 in verse 1, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he should no longer, pay attention, he should no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for what? But for the will of God. You see it? For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. He says in regard to these, they think it's strange that you don't run with them in the same flood of dissipation. They speak evil of you. But Peter says, listen, we spent enough time wasting away doing the will of man. We spent enough time wasting our lives doing the will of the Gentiles and participating in these things which are against a good God. But a good God has given us His good word, not to do the will of man, but for us to be able to obey Him and to do His will. And you know what He would say to us? 
Be good. Just be good. Just strive to be more like me. Strive to do my will. Strive to obey me. Strive to do those things that I have told you to do. But why would I want to do such a thing? Well, here is our main context of the morning. I'm not going to take a whole lot of your time to look at this context, but I'm telling you this is good stuff. In 1 Peter chapter 2, in verse number 13, we're going to find this phrase, again, the will of God, and it's connecting to doing good. Start with me in verse 13. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme, or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God. If you just pause for a moment, I told you verses to kind of stop at and They should just really grab your attention like Genesis 2 and verse 7. How about this verse over here in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 15? For this is the will of God. Anytime I see that, I just want to... Okay. All right, what are we dealing with here? If this is the will of God, what does that require? What is he talking about? I want to pause and give thought to it. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. And then he says in verse 17, Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. This is the will of God, that you do good. This is my will, God says, that you do good. So I turn around to the back seat just as my parents turned around to their backseat. Be good. Be good. Why? Why are those two boys in the backseat listening to anything that I say? Why, when it was my parents talking to me, would I listen to what they had to say? Why did it matter that it was my dad or my mom who turned around to me as one of their children and told me to be good? And why did that have any kind of effect on me? Well, I want to ask that question of God. I'm telling you that God is good and He's given us His good word. But when He tells us to go about doing good, why should I listen to Him? Why should you listen to Him? It has nothing to do with the one who's standing up here this morning. You're not not going to be good because I tell you to be good. I don't have authority to tell you to be good. I don't have authority over you to help you make up your mind as to whether or not you're going to be good or not. Why should I listen to God, though? That's where we back up just a little bit in 1 Peter chapter 2. And we understand something very important. Why should I do good? I back up to verse number 9 where Peter has given them the reason they should be good. He's already outlined it for them. In verse number 9, he says, You are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Verse 10 says, Who once were not a people, but now are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but have now obtained mercy. God, why should I listen to you? Why should I do what you say? Why should I be good? And God says, because of me, because of what I've done for you, because of our relationship. I wanted to listen to my parents because I understood they were my parents. 
I understood that they were the authority in my life. I understood the relationship that we shared. If someone else's parents turned around and told me to be good, they were older than me. I I hope that I would respect some authority. But that doesn't have the same pull as if my dad is telling me to be good. Isn't that right? I could say to some of our young people, hey, be good. You're not my dad. You're not my mom. You can't tell me what to do. And sometimes you're going to get that reaction. But God, God says we have a relationship. This is who I am, and this is what I've done for you. You are my chosen ones. This has nothing to do with God, you know, sitting back at the beginning of time and saying, uh, Adam, I'm going to choose you to be saved, and, and uh, Troy, I'll pick on Troy. Troy, you can't do anything to be saved. You're just going to be lost as you can be. So the saved are going to be over here on this side, and the lost are going to be over here on this side, and, and I'm choosing those who I don't want to save, and I'm, I'm not going to choose you. Sorry about you, but there's nothing you can do to change my mind. You're going to be saved, and you're going to be lost. Nothing you can do about it. That is not what this verse is teaching, or at all what the Bible teaches. Bible says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 through 9, that the vengeance of God is going to be poured out on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. The vengeance of God is coming on those who don't know Him and don't obey Him. But then in that same letter, in 2 Thessalonians, over in chapter 2 and verse 14, Paul says that you have been called by the gospel. You have been called by the preaching of the gospel. Say it simply. Well, you heard the gospel proclaimed the good news of Jesus Christ. You heard that Jesus died for you, that your sins can be forgiven, and you chose to obey Him. You can be saved. You are God's chosen. But someone else hears the gospel and they choose not to to believe it. They choose not to obey it. Well, they've made their choice. And God says, you're going to be lost. But those who are saved are those who choose to obey the gospel of Christ. And so Peter's writing to those who have chosen to obey. God gave us all a free will. He gave us all a mind to make up on our own. And so we can choose to obey Him or we can choose to disobey Him. But God says to those of you who have chosen to obey me, you're my chosen. You're in a relationship with me. Isn't that a wonderful thought? That a good God in His good word has supplied us what we need to know in order to be right with Him. You're my chosen. You are the royal priesthood. You are those who are, have direct access to me, who can sacrifice and, and worship directly before my throne. That You don't need anybody to go between. You are my royal priesthood. You are my holy nation. Before it was the Jews who were the chosen nation of God. But now, you who are in the church that belongs to Jesus, you are my holy nation, my set-apart ones. Chosen. Royal priesthood. Holy nation. Can I just say it simply? You're my special people. You're my special people. When I look at you, I don't look at you as the rest of the world. You're the ones who have been set apart because of your obedience to my son. 
Because you've been washed in His blood. You are my special people. What makes you so special? God, what have you done for me? You continue through verse number 9. He is the one who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. You are the ones who were not a people, but now are the people of God. You are the ones who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. I'm telling you, when a good God looks down and He says, this is what I've done for you, you've obeyed me, do good because of our relationship, because of who you are in my sight, that should lead you to do good because of our relationship to God. But then, well, then he takes it another step. Then he continues in this line of thinking in verse 11. Find it in your Bible. 1 Peter 2 and verse 11. Beloved, I beg you, Peter is begging, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul. I'm asking the question, why should I be good? Why should I do what is good? Why should I look into the Bible and see a good God and, and want anything to do with Him? Well, it's because of the relationship that we can have in Him. But it's also because I know the relationship that I ultimately have with the world. These are things that we talk about, but when we put this into daily Christian living, when we really begin to understand what is said here, I'm telling you, this is not easy. But Peter reminds us that this is kind of the mindset that we need to have as we go through our lives. Number one, you need to see yourself as a sojourner, as a stranger. Foreigner. You understand that term? A foreigner. If you walk down the streets of Midland, Texas, and you see someone uh, from, let's say, China, someone who's from the uh, some Middle East, or you see someone from, you know, that person is not from around here. All right, that person is a foreigner. I'm just trying to use a basic example that you and I we can see what an outsider might look like. Someone who's not from around here. We can look at them and we can see they're they not from around here. We don't look down on them. We don't dislike them. But we can look at them and we can see, maybe we can hear them speak a different language and we would say, that's a foreigner. Well, if you go back to Hebrews 11, this is how God's people looked at themselves. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 9, speaking of Abraham, the Bible says, "...by faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country." dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Hey, Abraham, are you from around here? Nope. I'm not from around here. God, I was over there in the Ur of Chaldees, and and God told me to pack up and leave. And so he says, I'm over here. This is a land that God promised me, but I'm a foreigner. I'm not from around here. You get the concept. Well, it's also in verse number 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. Abraham says, I'm not just a stranger. I'm not just a foreigner over here in this uh, different land. He says, I'm a stranger on the earth. It doesn't matter where I go. It doesn't matter if I'm all the way back there in Ur or if I'm over here in Canaan or down in Egypt. I'm a foreigner wherever I am. On the earth, I'm a foreigner. Are you? Am I? 
Do you understand that you're not from here? That you're not staying here? That there's somewhere else for us to be? Well, he says, you're not just a foreigner. You're also a pilgrim. Those words are very closely connected. But sojourner, that idea is you move to a land and you stay there. All right, so Abraham moves from Ur of Chaldees. He gets over there into what would be the promised land, and he stayed there. He dwelt in tents, and he kind of roamed around, but he was in that land. A pilgrim is somebody who doesn't stay put. A pilgrim is somebody who, they just, they're, move, they're on the move. They're, they're just not in one place for very long. Nomads, we might think of that, right? Where you just don't stay someone very long, somewhere very long. You're just on the move. That's what I want you to know. A good God has given us His good word to show us the relationship that we have in Him and to remind us, do not put down roots in this world. Do not get attached to this world. You have somewhere else to go. We talk about it. We sing about it, but it's easy to get attached. I love this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. I'm being beckoned to come home. But I get caught up in life like you and in relationships in this life like you. The will of God is that I go about doing good. And if I'm going to go about doing good, I need to remember that this world is not my home. That I am just a pilgrim. I am on the move. I am just a stranger. I am a foreigner. I am not here to stay. I am here to go on. So why should I do good? Because of my relationship with God and because of my relationship with this world. This world is not my home. So the last question of the day is, what does being good look like? Evan and Alan asked, Dad, what does that mean to be good? I mean, what do you want me to do when we get in that house? You tell me to be good, but what does that mean? Well, I may not know exactly what that means, but I know when I see what is not good. When I see them running around the house or I see them breaking something in someone else's house, I know that's not good. Right? That's not good. They shouldn't have been doing that. I didn't tell them what being good looked like, but I know what's not good when I see it. I also want to know what being good looks like. It takes both of these things. Doing something and not doing something else. So we see there in verse 11. I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. God, tell me, what does it look like to be good? He would say, you abstain from fleshly lusts. This world is not your home, and so you abstain from doing those things that the flesh would have you to give in to. You, give, you, you don't give in to those things. That is not part of good Christian living. Abstain from fleshly lusts. You can see a list like uh, in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. The lusts of the flesh. 
And then you can see the direct opposite of that in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, where we set our mind on things above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Abstain from fleshly lusts. But then he says in the very next verse, chapter 2 and verse 12, having your conduct or your conversation honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. This is what I want you to think about. It's not enough. Verse 11 says, abstain from fleshly lusts. So I know that I need not to give in to lusts of the flesh. But the Bible says it's not enough just to abstain from doing certain things, but you actually have to be doing other things. You need to live in conduct that others would see your good works and glorify God. I haven't reminded you of this yet, but I will now. Do you know that Peter was writing to Christians who were suffering intense persecution? The emperor Nero was governing over Rome at this time, reigning over Rome, the Roman Empire. And he was taking Christians and he was burning them at the stake. And he was causing great torment upon the church. And Christians at this time, they were suffering tremendously, more than you and I could even begin to picture in our minds. That's who Peter is writing to. And he says, you have your conduct honorable among all. You do good so that they can see your good works and glorify your Father. It's powerful when we think about the mindset that Peter is outlining here. It's a mindset that you and I need to have in our possession which is so laser-focused on Jesus It's so laser-focused on God who is good, who has given us His good word, and I want to love Him and obey Him because of the relationship that He provides a sinner like me to have with Him. And they're so laser-focused on Him and having their conduct honorable among all of those that they see so that people can see not them, but Jesus. I want to strive to live an attractive life. People look at me and they'll see, they'll see very little that's attractive. But I want them to see by my conduct that Jesus is attractive. I want them to see Jesus is attractive. I want people not to be repelled to come to the Lord because of my actions, but I want people to be attracted to Jesus by the way that I'm living I want to do good so that people see Jesus. I want people to be to, I want to do good so that people can be in that relationship that we outline in verses 9 and 10. I want more people to be in the chosen race of God. I want them to be a part of that holy nation. I want them to be the royal priesthood. I want others to be special to God in that relationship and I can do something about it. Bible says by just doing good. How about that? I want to live a life that attracts people to Jesus. How do I know what being good looks like? Well, it's in this context, isn't it? I guess we have to go there. I want to go there, don't you? Because this is the context. In verse number 13, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. 
whether to king as supreme or to the governor, whoever has the authority over you, you submit to every ordinance of man. That's what the Bible says, not for your sake, but because you have a bigger picture in mind for the Lord's sake. We in America, we get really proud of ourselves and who we are and our heritage. And I'm a proud American standing before you this morning. I assure you, I stand to put my hand over my heart. I sing the national anthem. I get teary-eyed when people salute the flag or when I'm at a funeral and they give the the gun salute. I'm telling you, that, that should move us as Americans. But you don't have to be an American to go to heaven. You know that? People in America, they talk about the foreigners. The foreigners are moving in. The foreigners are taking over. I'm just a foreigner too. I'm just a foreigner too. I'm concerned about the direction of our country. I'm concerned about the next generation. I promise you, I'm concerned about future generations and what's coming. I'm I'm just as concerned. I promise you, I assure you, as you are. But I do not want to get so attached to anything in this life that it removes me from a relationship with God. He is good. And He's allowed us to have a relationship with Him. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 18, Paul says to Christians, As much as is in you, as much as is possible, be at peace with all men. Live peaceably with all men. Be peacemakers. And then, in chapter 13, verses 1 through 7, he speaks of our our obedience to governing authorities. We pay our taxes. We obey the laws of the land. We honor civil rulers and we pray for them. But Paul is going to speak about submission to Roman authorities. The Romans who were persecuting them, who were taking away their rights, the Romans who were throwing them into prison, the Romans who were killing them. Peter says, you submit to every ordinance of man. So much as it does not violate God so much as it doesn't violate His will, the Bible says you submit. It is good. You are doing good by submitting to governing authorities. How serious is he about that? Well, the final verse that we're going to look at this morning is verse number 17. How serious is is Peter about this? And this is the will of God doing good, honor, love, fear, And honor. Honor all people. That's what the Bible says, doesn't it? Honor all. Honor all people. That is, when you look into the eyes of someone else, you respect that person enough to understand the value that they have in the eyes of God. That means that you look past the color of their skin or their gender. And you look past their economic status. And you look past whatever uh, might have been a barrier to you. And you look at their soul. And he says, you honor them. You see their value. That's what Peter is saying. I think we're, we're at a point in time where too many are just looking at people as foreigners. And they're... They're, they're a destruction. I, again, we have laws and they need to be obeyed and I'm all for it. But the Bible says that we need to honor all men. And then following that, fear God. Show reverential awe 
to Him and who He is. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7, The fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. Fear God and keep His commandments. Honor all men. Fear God. And I skipped, right? Love the brotherhood. Love the brotherhood. I don't know who you enjoy being around more than God's people. Who should we enjoy being around more than God's people? That chosen group of people. God's special people. That royal priesthood. Who should we enjoy being around more than God's people? He says love God's people. But you know what? Sometimes, I know this because of myself, I can be hard to love. There are times when it can be difficult to love God's people. That, uh, that word brotherhood, consequently, that we find there in chapter 2 and verse number 17, that word brotherhood is found only one other time in the New Testament. And it's in that same letter, chapter 5 and verse 9, where Peter says, Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Your brotherhood. Those that you're standing shoulder to shoulder with in a fight against the devil. Peter says, love those people because they're God's people. They're your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so you may have different likes and you may have different interests and you may get along better with some some than you do others, but you love them all because you fear God, because you understand who He is, and then you honor the King. You respect the one who is in authority and the position that He holds. I don't know why we're so brave sitting behind computer screens, why we're so quick to share memes that that speak badly about the presidency or those who are in authority, why we feel so at ease uh, to put them down and to tell these jokes and to badmouth. And I don't know why it's just so so simple for that to roll off the tongue and, and off of our fingertips. And I'm saying that we need to be really, really careful about this because the Bible says that if we're going to do the will of God and we're going to do good and others are watching us, then we need to be very concerned about what we say to those and about those who are in positions of authority. Listen, I don't always agree with them. Very rarely anymore do I find myself always in agreement with what they're doing. But I want others not to look at me and what I say about them and think badly of Jesus. And that, my friends, is what this is all about. A bigger picture. I am a sojourner and a pilgrim. I do not have to be an American to go to heaven, but I must be a Christian. I must be right with God. I don't, have, I don't have to worry about Joe Biden to get me to heaven. I don't have to worry ultimately about the rules that he will or will not put in place. But I need to submit myself to the will of God and I need to go about doing good and I need to help as many people as I see to get into that relationship too. I want to do the will of God. I want to be laser focused on submission to Him because He is a good God. And He's given me His good word so that we can be right. And that's what this is about. How are we doing? Don't you want to be in a right relationship with God? 
Aren't you so happy that, that He's given you His will and you can know it? Aren't you so happy that you can understand what He wants you to do in order to be a part of His people? Aren't you so happy that we don't have to guess and wonder and, and wish or just worry about it? But He's told us all that we need to know. You see, being good, it's not just something we need to be telling our children, but something you and I, all of us, need to be striving for every day that we live. I want to be good in the eyes of God because He has shown me what is good because He is good. And this morning, if you're not in a right relationship with Him, if you're not a part of that chosen people, if you're not this morning part of that royal priesthood, you're not part of His own special people, And this morning, all of that can change for you because He has outlined for us in His good word what we must do in order to be saved. This morning, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? I'm telling you, He left heaven and came down here and died for you so that you can be saved. Are you ready this morning to submit your life to Him? Are you ready this morning to confess your faith in Him as the Son of God, to repent of sin in your life, to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins? A good God has given us His good word that we can understand His good will and we can be saved. This morning, if you're not saved, we invite you to come. He invites you to come and to be right with Him. This morning as a Christian, maybe you've not been living good. Maybe you've not been living as you should. And Maybe this morning you publicly need to respond and ask your brethren for prayers. Or, or maybe there's just something amiss in your life and you can take care of it between you and God. Do. Take care of it. And let's get on with it. We're just moving through. We're on our way home. And this morning, if there's something keeping you from getting home, then the Lord invites you to come, and so do we, right now, as together we stand and sing.